The following content is provided under a Creative Commons license. Your support will help MIT OpenCourseWare continue to offer high-quality educational resources for free. To make a donation or to view additional materials from hundreds of MIT courses, visit MIT OpenCourseWare at ocw.mit.edu. All right. So let me switch over to today's topic. And this is some cool demos. So this particular project that uh, Kimo Johnson and uh, Ted Adelson uh, call it Retrographic Sensor, uh, also won the best demo award at uh, CBPR. Uh, so we saw this chart last time. Uh, you know, we're already selling 2.5 billion sensors uh, in the next year or two per year. And this is the forecast made in 2006-2007. So it, it might have changed. Um, and, you know, if you see the integration of cameras in uh, mobile phones, uh, a natural question is, will we have, will we even think about uh, a digital still camera um, as a standalone entity in, in coming years? Um, and if you think about a wristwatch, I think most of us don't wear wristwatch anymore. You know, knowing what time it is um, is not a you know a difficult problem anymore. I don't need to spend you know a lot of money, or I don't have to uh, kind of tether myself to an additional device uh, to know what time it is. Uh, and will we be in a similar similar situation about imaging? Uh, will we even have a standalone camera uh, for any purpose? So, just want to take a couple of minutes to see what uh, what opinions you have. Uh, according to uh, Nokia, uh, more than 50% of the people who bought N95 got rid of their point-and-shoot camera. Um, and Nokia sells about a million phones every day. Okay, they sell 400 million phones a year. So they sell more than a million phones every day. Uh, so, you know, these are uh, staggering numbers. Uh, you know, which what is the what's the largest which is the largest camera company in the world? Yeah. Sorry, Nokia, right? It's not a traditional camera company. Um, and the same same answer for which is the largest uh, computer company in the world? Oh. Uh, I mean, yeah, Nokia doesn't build anything of their own, of course. They, you know, they, they OEM everything, but, but still, they're they are the largest camera, uh, computer company in the world as well. Uh, so, all right, when do you think camera as a standalone device will completely disappear? It'll never completely By completely, I mean less than 0.1% of the population carries it, let's say. Something that's, it's like saying when will the film camera will disappear. And I believe it's gone. Oh, but they're going to be gone in different ways. So cameras, digital cameras are going to be gone. Yeah, they're going to be everywhere. Mm -hmm. And film cameras are gone. Is that that we use? So. What? Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. So, the is still in the room. So. Very rare <laughs> visuals. <laughs> I'll give you, when do you think... Uh, you don't want to answer the film camera question. You love it. But when will the digital camera disappear altogether? Um, you don't have anything against digital cameras. 
Well, no, I don't have anything against digital cameras, but it depends on your definition of like a digital camera. If you're just talking about point-and-shoot cameras, a standalone a, cam a device that's built specifically for the purpose of taking photos. Like, okay, so um, if you're not going to be a professional photographer, then the average consumer, it's probably just going to um, disappear maybe in like. Ten years. Ten years. Five years. All right. Any other? Uh, anybody thinks it will happen in less than ten years? Let's say, say some more that. Yeah, it's around five years. In five years, there will be no standalone consumer digital cameras. Yeah, I think in just a couple of years. If you think about it. In two years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> let's let's call let's call all the camera companies. She's already switching over to like emphasizing video, and then also SLRs are starting to do video. Also, these are not just normal cameras anymore. Right, but but I meant I mean video camera, still camera is the same thing. I'm just saying, will we have standalone devices that okay. only goal is to yes. Cameras that allow you to upload your Wi-Fi cameras, your cameras that allow you to editing on. Right. And there's no reason why this shouldn't be your computer, your actual portable device. Exactly. This is basically just converting to both sides. Both the camera can do more, right. not just acquisition, right. and, and your computers can do acquisition. So. Right. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's going to be some kind of a fusion, but is the camera going to become a phone or, or the phone is going to become a camera? So, because it was single camera. I think in the back. Say a century. A century? Yeah. yeah. The wow. Brought us the paperless office and the end of uh, books, and we no longer have a stage theater or cinema. Uh, we've been predicting that for a long time. I don't expect the camera to be Okay, so so that's that's that, that's a very interesting comment, right? Uh, what's unique about paper or watching movies uh, that may or may not apply to uh, a, a device? But, but in response to what you said. Um, the need to capture images won't disappear, but the fact that there will still be one device that its own purpose is to capture images will disappear. And there will be a device that is either a phone and capture images and your laundry and whatever else. I mean, the way we print books has changed, but we still have books. No. Like, I mean, that's why you're doing the image, though, right? Because you're shooting stuff on screen if you want the image quality. So, I mean, if you Vacated now for simulated, but, yeah. but again, there's a big difference. Yeah, but I mean, here's a hypothetical scenario, right? If I, if I can buy a phone uh, whose image quality is sufficiently good uh, compared to uh, a standalone uh, steel camera, uh, that's the question. We're, we're assuming that the image quality is going to be good enough. Uh, let's take somebody new here. So, yeah, yeah. I actually really agree with what you said. I, I think that I, I actually think it'll never really disappear for a couple of reasons. I think 0.1 percent of the population. So, all right. So I actually, I actually would be curious today how many people carry phone cameras. I'm, 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 I'm curious. One billion people carry a camera in the pocket. Okay, but but so one reason I, I think is that uh, there's not only image quality, but there's the the ergonomic interaction. Yes. Right? And I think the reason why a lot of people carry a DSLR is not just for the image quality, but for having things available and buttons and having you know human hands are certain sizes and 
Something that's heavy enough and something you look cool mm-hmm. with, with and so on. Well, no, no, no. So, so, no. Is it for function or just for no, fashion? No, the, the heaviness does add a function because it, it stabilizes the image. Okay. But, but I mean, I also think that there's something else to it. I'm actually unconvinced in general that devices converging is necessarily good. I mean, you know, friends of mine, but I tell this to say that I'm an exception because I carry like two cell phones and I think I'm carrying three cameras right now. Two, two cell phones will never converge, right? They have phones that have two SIM cards. You know, I, I think there are certain advantages to having actually redundancy in devices and things. So, I, you know, I, I definitely agree that digital cameras might have, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity or other things, but I suspect that a lot of people will carry separate things that are their primary purpose as imaging. Right. And a separate thing itself that may also have a camera in it. But there will always be a film camera in Myun's house, uh, <laughs> even 30 years from now. But we're talking about 0.1%. Um, so, so let's take a quick word and move on. So. How many people think it's, uh, let's do the reverse. So we'll say uh, two years from now, uh, how many of you think will uh, the, a standalone imaging device will disappear? Kevin? No? All right, we have one. Okay. Uh, do you want to say very quickly why? Because you... <laughs> I think the, I mean, so far the image quality has been the problem. Right. Uh, you just don't collect enough light on the sensors that you can fit into a phone, but I think people are finding ways to get around that with software and with optics. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this and with the sensor, actually, there's a whole new generation of sensors coming out that allows you to collect more light. Mm-hmm. Remember, right now, the total uh, standalone devices for imaging is 10% already. Okay, this is optical mouse. Uh, which is not really a camera, we can ignore that. Uh, but mobile phone camera, digital still camera, gaming, and so on. So it's already 10%, and we're talking about 0.1%. So let's move on and, and, and just let's take a quick poll. So two years, we have only Matthias. Quick, quick question, I guess. Is that, is that even a decent metric? Would it be better to say how many photos are taken? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people carry cell phone cameras, but use them once a year. You know, my mom just used her cell phone camera. Right. She has one. The, the next class will talk about uh, how long will it take before photos disappear. But <laughs> that's, the, that's the next conversation. Um, so uh, it's like saying, you know, how many things, how many people write with their own handwriting? Right? It's, it's the same situation we, we want to see very soon. But that's for the next class. Um, um, so two years, we have only one. Five years. Okay, three or four. Uh, Ten years. Okay, uh, fifteen years. So I guess almost everybody, right? Because and uh, never. All the power to you. I say one additional comment. We're thinking about this population right here. In most of the world, people cannot go and afford a separate camera. They're going to buy a phone. A super point. That's an excellent point. Uh, you get down to one percent very fast. Yeah. When the remaining five billion come right. on board, uh, yeah, that's a good point actually. So yeah. Right. Yes, Jeff. Yeah, I have a prediction. I think that people that will still have many devices will have Apple devices. And then we can look at Steve Jobs 
Like you have the iPhone with camera and the iPad touch with camera. Right. You know, they, they have an iPhone without a different. Right. So it's interesting. That's just a marketing gimmick. But yeah, but uh, it's interesting to think of marketing in this uh, respect. <laughs> and uh, I think your point is very relevant here. Right. Some people can afford just one electronic device. Right. And your phone makes sense because communication is uh, really more important than picture taking. Yeah, I mean, very soon you'll be able to buy a burger with a camera in it. <laughs> you know, that's, that's your, that's your, uh, that's your, uh, what's the toy called for children? The, the happy toy. The happy meal. The happy meal, right? And, and you'll know what you ate and how many calories you had. And it's a whole part. It'll trace the burger through your digestive yeah. system. It'll, it'll show you how happy you were. And, and then we and, get it out. It's Right. <laughs> and, and you describe the number of digital cameras also increasing, followed by the same proportion as the number of mobile phones. So exactly. It's mostly mobile phones right now. Yeah, but see, the, the number of digital cameras is really part of the... It's, 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 it's not growing at the same rate, unfortunately. It's hard to find a phone without it. Camera, so exactly. it is sort of unfair to, to look at that. Um, but, but, but that's the whole point of this class. I think we are at a stage where people are saying, oh, cameras are cheap enough. By the way, do you have an idea of how cheap a camera is today? To for for a, for a, for a device maker, how much does it cost them to pay for a camera? If they want to attach a camera, how much does it cost them? Okay, one dollar. Anybody else? It's twenty cents. What? Okay. So when I said it will come with your burger, I'm not joking. Right. Of course, it doesn't have power, but it has electronics, it has optics, it has sensor, and it has a, a compression engine. Right. It's 20 cents. So, things are changing very rapidly. And to answer your question on, okay, you cannot buy a device without a camera in it anymore. Um, the problem is, right now, we don't have enough services to, that go on top of those cameras. But imagine if people in this room say, wow, a billion people have a camera. Let me try to see if I can build something that really exploits that. Uh, or let me see if I can change the game a little bit, you know, add a little bit extra feature. Maybe add a thermal sensor to it. Maybe add, add UV light to it, whatever it is. Maybe I'll make it into a camera so that, you know, instead of 20 cents, now it costs me 23 cents. Um, it will completely change the game. Right? Uh, and the same way we get addicted to our devices and we just can't live without them anymore. Hopefully, cameras will play, play a similar role, that you'll be forced to use the camera. Uh, it won't be just an additional feature that uh, never gets used. So. Did you hope that? Sorry. About what? That you'll be forced to use I mean, not forced, but you'll be encouraged. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like saying, are you forced to, are you being forced to use a credit card? Yeah, that's, that's what I actually don't like about it. Yeah. You are forced to use a credit card. <laughs> That's another discussion we're going to have with all our European friends. <laughs> all right. So uh, taking notes, uh, as, as you can see, a lot of our discussion will be not on the on the slides. So Sam's taking the notes today, um, and what you need to do is uh, the slides will be online, so you don't need to capture what's on the slides. And you need to capture, you know, all the information that's coming up. For example, JB had a comment on, you know, a new camera or, or you know the other comments in the back. You want to capture that uh, in the in the slides or any anything I mentioned. Um, 
and also summarize some of the question and answer sessions, and we'll draw some, uh, you know, we'll have some demos, try to take pictures, um, and I'll, you know, I'll do some doodles on the board, you know, take his photo, uh, and so on. And uh, we'll have one student assigned for each class, uh, if you're taking it for credit. Uh, and I encourage you to just use uh, a laptop because, you know, you can probably take notes faster and you can also look up some information uh, very quickly. And then you can work with me over the weekend and on Monday we'll post it on Stellar. Right. Is everybody familiar with uh, Stellar website for MIT? How many of you know about the Stellar webpage? Everybody's familiar? Okay. And if you don't have access, like if you're not taking the class for credit, then you may or may not, I think you should be able to access. It's open to anybody in the world. Uh, so you can even send it to your friends, and uh, uh, they can look at just the slides. They won't get a lot of the other information, of course. Um, and, but if you cannot access it, just send me an email, and I can explicitly add you as a guest uh, on, the, on the Stellar website. Uh, the one benefit of adding you explicitly is that sometimes the announcements go only to the people who are taking the class for credit. You know, it could be about exams or, or other things. And if you want to be, if you want to participate in that, then you'll get those emails as well. Right. Okay, so uh, assignment one was about lighting, and that's what we'll be talking about today. Uh, very different ways of uh, capturing light. Uh, does anybody have questions? These are the few things you have to do. You have to have a commented source code, or if you used a, a GUI-based uh, approach, uh, Photoshop or something, then you need to show me a lot of intermediate results, input and output images. The images should be captured by yourself with your own camera. Uh, if you don't have, I mean, for the first assignment, maybe you can use a cell phone camera, but see if you can buy you know, a cheap camera that has a manual mode. You can buy a pretty good camera for less than $150. Uh, I, I recommend the Canon A-Series. Uh, it usually has a manual mode. Uh, and another benefit of uh, the Canon series is that uh, we have very good SDK, so you can control the camera from your uh, from your laptop or from your PC. So I recommend the Canon A series uh, to buy. Um, and then you must create a web page where you'll host your uh, solutions for your assignments. And then you should send me a link. And what you update on the Stellar is just a link. You're not going to update, upload all the images and so on. Um, and then it's perfectly fine to use software you find online. Okay, it's perfectly fine. Uh, don't use your 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 colleagues' software who are in this class uh, <laughs> or software people wrote in this class last year. Uh, but you can go online, go to MATLAB repository, and if they have a function for doing X Y Z, it's perfectly fine to use it. Um, um, and then we have a Flickr group page. Uh, I believe you got an email from me about the Flickr group page. And all your final results, uh, sorry, input and final results will be on the Flickr page so everybody can see it. And we can write comments about each other's work. Okay? And this will be a good uh, kind of a, a trial run towards our final project where we will be doing a lot of commenting on each other's work, giving a lot of feedback and, and critiques and so on. Okay, so three things. Uh, uh, Stellar, your own web page, and the Flickr page. Any questions? All right. So, uh, you know, this was simple. And if you have more time, you probably want to do in your assignment something that looks like this, right? where you can do some uh, beautiful delight. All right. 
So some of the assignments, I think we already discussed it, will, will look like this. Uh, and uh, okay, let's start with some interesting way you can think about uh, illumination. So here's a photo from uh, one candle square. Uh, uh, this is comet oils here and so on. And even if you have been to candle square, uh, this photo um, is somewhat difficult to understand what's going on. Uh, you don't even know how many stories this, uh, I guess the Draper Labs building has, for example, from this photo uh, and so on. So imagine if magically you can convert this photo into uh, this photo. From here to here. What are some tricks you can use to do that? Wait 12 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else? Go Photoshop's shadow highlights feature. Yeah, you can try to you know, stretch the histogram or you can try to take a really long exposure photo. But you know, this, this is really, really dark. There's almost There's nothing a, there. Another photo under a little Exactly. Uh, who was saying that? All right, good. Uh, so you just cheat. You know, this was actually taken <laughs> when I was uh, working at Merv, and this is a view from my office, actually. It's much nicer view than the office I have right now. Uh, <laughs> this campus is nice. Sorry? This campus is sort of nice. Yeah, I like the, I like the brick texture. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, and, you know, just take the photo after 12 hours, right, uh, in the morning. Actually, I took a photo at 6 a.m., um, when you know there are, there are very few cars um, on the street, and somehow you want to fuse these two photos into a photo that looks like that. So the static parts are captured from daytime, and all the dynamic parts, like the cars and the, the, the Christmas lights and so on, are captured from the nighttime. So you want to make some intelligent decision between which pixel comes from where. The color temperature is off. And the color temperature is off, and you have to make some artistic decisions about about that. Um, and you know, you'll always have, have some issues like this one. Uh, I think this guy I waited all night long, but he, he was part all night long, so he, he just didn't move. So you can see that. Uh, uh, <laughs> see there. Um, so it's kind of a context-enhanced image, and we're really exploring natural illumination to capture a new photo. Yeah. So how was this just made to you? What to leave out, what to leave in from the night? Was it done by an algorithm? Or yeah, it has to be done by algorithm, right? So, so this is what you can do. Uh, just one approach, but maybe in, in, in your assignments you'll come up with another approach. Uh, in this case, you can just take, uh, just compute the same contrast. You can just take a 5 by 5 window and find pixels that have very high variance. Uh, and you can create a stencil like this. Uh, that says, oh, all these pixels look interesting. And now this part here, clearly there's nothing. So I should not take that from the night time image. Uh, and then I can create, uh, I can use the stencil. Uh, the black pixels will come from daytime, and the white pixels will come from nighttime. And if you just combine that, combine those two using that stencil, you know, you'll get a reasonable image already, but it will look extremely ugly, right? Uh, because the transition from here to here, from nighttime to the daytime, will not look very natural. So what can you do? Any solutions? Blur the mask. Blur the mask. You can do that, but then the edges of the building will get very fuzzy. 
because it looked like part of the building was in the daytime and part of the building was in the nighttime. Could you just sorry? Could you just say how you made the mask again? I, I this mask? Yeah. So uh, in the simplest case, you can just say, give me the pixels that are bright enough. Mm-hmm. It's images zero to two fifty-five. Anything over one fifty, mm-hmm. market as well. That's the simplest thing. But you know, it's not so good. Uh, a, a slightly better way of doing that is you go in a window of say 5 by 5 pixels and if all the 25 pixels are the same uh, then maybe it's not very interesting like here all 25 pixels are the same or in this region all 25 pixels are the same uh, but if there's enough variation between them if I just take the variance or, or the standard deviation of those 25 pixels and it's high enough then it looks like there's some information in those 25 pixels in a 5 by 5 window and you'll mark that center of that 5 by 5 window as something that's interesting. Yep. One thing you could do for surrounding buildings is to shrink the, um, the components that are not connected or that are too small. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you can use some kind of a graph cut approach and find some connected components and so on. Like that. Um, cheating a little bit, you could have taken a burst of photos uh-huh. and diffed uh, between them to find motion or areas of interest. Great idea. Great idea. Especially for something that's moving. Right. To find that, but you, you but you still have to take some data image to to fill in the static parts that are dark. But but that's right. In fact, that you have to do that for cars because the, some cars the the center of this car is too dark, but still important to us. So this is what you know simple processing would do, but maybe you want to do something smart. So uh, this is just a zoomed in version of that. Um, anyway, it's trying to capture. You know, all these windows did not have uh, lights on, you see here. But there's one window with light on. I think this is the, the stable of the Biogen building or Amgen building. Um, and it captures that, right? Uh, but then it creates this ugly artifact around that. So you want a very nice transition between the two. So the solution for that is actually uh, called a gradient domain fusion. Um, and that's just a fancy way of saying that uh, instead of worrying about absolute intensities, I'm going to worry about difference between neighboring pixels. So I'm going to take a pixel x plus 1 and pixel x and find the difference between them and I'm going to blend those things. Right? So this is, this is what would happen if you just blend the intensities and this, would, that's, this is what would happen if you blend the differences. Now if you blend the differences, which is the, just the forward difference, then the image that you will get will be also made up of forward differences. So to go from a forward difference back to the signal, we must do integration. And in 1D, it's very easy, um, and uh, we'll study that later. Uh, but in 2D, it's quite challenging. So it's basically doing a 2D integration from all the forward differences. Uh, and putting the two together, again, I'm not going into the detail, we'll, we'll study this more. Uh, it turns out you can create very, very, uh, Aesthetically pleasing uh, fusions or blending uh, between different parts. Yeah. What if uh, this is sort of just just an example of a night and day image? What if you multiply the images and mm-hmm. then, uh, normalize? You could you could try different things. Because the, the dark parts would sort of come through and the, the light parts from the day would also come through and it may actually merge a little bit nicer. Right. So you know these are some of the things. Uh, it could work in one scenario but not the other. You're right. And this is exactly what I want you to do in the assignment. Uh, the assignment gives you a very simple 
simple, very simple and very easy problem. But instead of taking pictures under two different flash uh, uh, table lamp conditions, you could take a picture under two time instances, one in the daytime, one in the nighttime, or under two different polarization or anything, and then fuse them. Instead of fusing color channels, you can fuse intensity channels, or you can fuse the forward difference channels, uh, and so on. Uh, one great software, it's uh, uh, on the website, I would like you to use for, for, uh, uh, for, for testing, it's called HDR Shop. Uh, and it's available for free. Uh, it's from a group at USC uh, led by uh, Paul Nababak. Uh, and I highly recommend that because instead of using Photoshop, uh, if you use HDR Shop, uh, again, even if you're doing backlog assignments, you can download HDRShop and it allows you to do summation of it. You can sum two images, A plus B, A minus, you can subtract the images, you can do forward differences, you can do log intensities and all those things. So it's a, it's a really good uh, uh, software for doing arithmetic on images. And the, all the arithmetic is done in floating point. It's not clamped to eight pixels, system bits. So let's say you want to multiply two images and the intensities are at 200 and 200. Uh, you know, it's 40,000, the multiplication of two. And Photoshop, I don't know if it supports uh, floating point uh, numbers, but Azure Shop will support that. Uh, as you multiply, you take log of that, and do all kinds of things. So even before sometimes you write, write in the MATLAB program, you can very quickly do some visual uh, inspection on, on this. And, uh, Another trick a lot of people forget about um, when you're doing assignments or, or projects that involve the images is don't work on the whole image. Work on a very tiny part of the image. Just take a 100 pixels by 100 pixel crop. Not this size, but just a crop. So you have you know, some 2 megapixel image. Don't try to run your code on 2 megapixel image. It might take forever. Just take a very tiny part, some very really interesting part. Just crop it and run all your code on that. And when you feel that your all your all your procedures are working, everything's working well, then you can go back to a larger voltage. So, you know, when I was working on this project, actually, I was I was very inspired by this um, uh, the surrealism. Uh, Era of surrealism, where you know William McWright and all that came up with Empire of the Lights. Uh, I'm sure a lot of you have seen this painting, where he created this very uh, stark, um, uh, kind of uh, disconcerting um, uh, positioning. You know, you have bright uh, daylight here, but the bottom part of the image is um, a nighttime scene. Uh, and he played with you know a lot of this. Uh, juxtaposing of, of uh, uh, disconcerting elements. And uh, the question is, can photography create something that, you know, is surrealistic? Not always photorealistic, but surrealistic. And uh, when we come to discussion about will photos survive in the future, you know, this is exactly the question that painters ask themselves, themselves when cameras are made. You know, there was a lot of interest in creating photo-realistic paintings. Um, and when camera came around, they all scratched their head and say, wow, we need to move on and do something else. We cannot create 
photorealistic paintings anymore. And then we had pointillism and surrealism and, and, and now it's just abstract. We don't even care about representing geometry and, and reflectance and so on. <coughs> and the question is, should cameras worry about capturing intensity and shapes and geometry? Right? I mean, if I go on Flickr, there are hundreds of images of buildings like this. What's so great about taking yet another photo of yet another building? You know, what I want to create is images that are somehow more expressive and more clear. So that's another debate, whether photos will survive. Uh, uh, I personally, by the way, have completely given up on camera. I don't, you know, I, I barely take photos when I travel or, um, and, and so on. Um, it's, it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm well beyond that stage of taking photos. And I, I really get impressed with um, uh, beautiful photos with it. They just look nice, but I never get impressed with that. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the remaining six billion people will uh, also start challenging the notion of camera as a device that captures, you know, photorealism. I think we have to challenge that notion, uh, just like the painters did and, uh, uh, during Renaissance and, and uh, during all the So, any thoughts, Liam? Huh? Any thoughts? You've never seen like a photo done by you know a photographer, like say Richard Avedon or mm -hmm. Ansel Adams that you really like. That's it's like, beautiful, but I'm not impressed. Okay, uh, can you say that? She said, "What about Ansel Adams and so on?" Yeah. It's it's. I mean, back then when they did it, it was impressive. But now, if somebody shows me something as good as Ansel Adams, it's great, but it's not impressive. Well, so, I mean, you should look at some of Richard Avedon's, like, like more recent works. Mm -hmm. I mean, he does some pretty creative things. Yeah. Like, there's one, like, he uses a skeleton in some of his photos, and it's like... Yeah, so the, the, the content sometimes is right. impressive. Right, yeah. But the art of photography... Comment back then. Somebody have a comment back then? I'm not sure you can separate both the, the, the technique from the content. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's a, I mean, that's a very good discussion, but I think they kind of come together and create and influence each other as well. So. Mm -hmm. I mean, definitely need uh, better and better tools and technologies to be able to create something that's that's really expressive, really, really uh, beautiful and, and, and creative. Um, but there was a time when uh, photographers could impress us based on their techniques. You know, the guy with the, with the biggest camera was called a professional photographer. Not the guy with the best eye and, you know, uh, somebody who, can, who has the patience and aesthetics and all of those things. And hopefully now we have separated the two. You know, just because the guy has the best gear uh, doesn't mean he's a good photographer mm -hmm. anymore. And that's what I mean by uh, it. Yes. So on that topic as well, going back to like old master techniques, all the secret knowledge that David Hockney. Mm -hmm. read that, you know, all the different Can you just repeat? Is David Hockney can? Uh, David Hockney is called Secret Knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, and it's going through like all kind of, he worked backwards based on like weird artifacts and their paintings to figure out how they would make uh, weird optical devices right. to create the original artwork and like that kind of goes back to the same concept right. of technique and artist and 
where those two So they would help me from Rico, right? What's that? From Rico. Uh, what do you mean? What? The, the company, Rico, he's from, he's from, he's from that. But David Hockney. Yeah. He's a famous painter. Oh, sorry. Who's the guy from Rico who did all the same analysis? Um, but this is the one where they looked at... Uh, it's an interesting, it's an interesting read if anybody's interested on like, the history of how these techni- optical techniques play into the role of artists in the discovery. It's kind of controversial. Yes, exactly. I, I, I think we're talking about the same thing. Uh, it's very controversial and he claims that uh, the painters knew about perspective and so on even before, uh, uh, even before the Renaissance and so on. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting backwards like, uh, scientific discoveries that he did based off. Uh, your artifacts and perspective. Yeah. I think it's David Stork. David Stork, exactly. Rico. Exactly. Yeah. Is that the same thing we're talking about? Uh, different, but maybe related. Okay. I, I, I think they're, they're, they, they do similar things. David Stork writes about optical projections for paintings. And so, yeah, it's probably similar. Yeah, so David Stork and David Hockney. Uh, <coughs> um, my laptop is rebooting again. That's strange. Um, so... Yeah, so I think that's that's kind of a great challenge we have about how the same way photoreal a camera put photorealistic paintings, you know, they made them boring and basically put that uh, breed of painters out of business. Uh, what will be the next imaging paradigm that will put today's camera? That will make press cameras boring, obsolete, and out of business. Because there's only so far you can go with a with a with a device that records light and tries to be realistic, you know, with a good signal to noise ratio, uh, converting photons into electrons. You know, that's not what you know humans do. You know, we don't see with our eyes at all. We just record with our eyes and we see with our brain. And right now there is very little separation in a in an imaging device about sensing and and uh, and seeing. Uh, but the whole kind of concept behind computational photography is that these two processes are completely separate. They can be decoupled. You can sense in some crazy way with some crazy mechanism. Uh, and then use a lot of computation to create images or create visual experiences that are are very different. Um, and if you look at uh, uh, Dan in my group and others have put up put together this really beautiful uh, digital totem in in our area, and it's constantly streaming the most interesting images on Flickr. And if you stand in front of that, you will realize that if anybody's Anybody saying that a goal of a camera is to mimic a human eye, uh, and that's what makes uh, you know makes it a good camera, you know that, that notion will be challenged because most of those photos which are which are tagged interesting by you know thousands of people on Flickr are actually the kind of photos you don't see with your eye. Right? It has some really crazy uh, focus. It has you know a very different uh, 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 color response curves. Um, it has very different zoom uh, and so on. It's, it's basically things, people think it's interesting when it's not like what you see with your own naked eye. And, and you know, that's what the goal, if you take the concept further, 
You know, right now people are trying to use cameras that are built to mimic the human eye and pushing them to create things that don't mimic the human eye. If you take that further, you know, why not start building imaging platforms that have nothing to do with capturing, you know, a 2D perspective photo? Uh, and that's what we'll see very soon. So I'm looking towards to towards an imaging platform that will just create abstract visual art. I don't know what that will be, but uh, I guess it's more a, a question or topic for discussion. Um, what do you imagine the, uh, the what is the, the fundamental of photography or about images that makes them lasting, as opposed to you know the kind of um, art tied to technology which uh, is bad? Like um, in the past year or so, we've seen some shift in photography. The, the hip thing <laughs> to do. And it's, right. you know, it's, it's entered a line of kitsch. Right. You know? Or, you know, even HDR, you see a lot of, you know, it was, uh, it was neat in the beginning and now it's kind of, feels like it's sort of run its core. Yes. And so, but there's still, you know, photography in the traditional sense of capturing what the human eye sees is fundamental in some way which is separate from the kind of uh, technique, you know, things on top of it. So I guess the question I have is, what is what is the fundamental of the photographic medium? Mm -hmm. And in terms of technology, what would be the fundamental technological building blocks as opposed to separating that from the kitchen? I, I agree, I agree. I think it's... Uh the, the the camera to me at this is just a sensor. It's just a transducer. And uh, you know, people say, "Wow, if the camera is going to change, you know, fundamentally, it's still going to convert, you know, electrons into photons and photons into um, sorry, photons into electrons and electrons into pixels and so on." Right? I mean, it's the, the laws of physics are not going to change anytime soon. Uh, so, uh, how we use it? Is uh, it's going to change altogether, and this notion that once you take a picture, that's it. You know, use the best possible optics and sensors so that you capture an image and that you can see later is is changing. So till shift, uh, I'm glad you brought it up because that's what the very next thing I was going to show. Um, just going before that, uh, I'll, I'll come to this. You know, I'll, some other interesting images. A time-lapse mosaic. So again, I sat in my office and took, uh, you know, these time-lapse pictures. And on the left side is daytime, right time is uh, it's nighttime. And all I'm doing is just picking up strips of the images from different time of day. And again, this has these annoying artifacts because it's on some auto exposure. But using a gradient domain technique, uh, you can create a very smooth transition. But yeah, <coughs> yeah, exactly. It has, still has those problems, right? So, you know, I don't have as much patience, and I'm only doing it sitting in my office. But, you know, it's, it's just a tool that photographers could create and create images that have a very different notion than what your eye will see if you're there sitting in my office. Of course, hopefully this can be done in, in Times Square or some really interesting places. And by the way, this one is also catching up now on, on Flickr. A lot of people who are trying to do this. We did this in 2002. Um, but 
So in lots of examples we, we saw here, the final result is a, 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 an image, you know, like a final master in sound where you, you do all your equalizing and there is one sound. And lots of techniques now could be also interactive. You could actually uh, go and go through the email, go through every point of detail, because what is the final goal is to understand that mm -hmm. there, there is this idea that there is something complex, you know, to do your own interpretation, it could be interactive as well. Right. So in all these exercises, the goal is always to, to create a new kind of static uh, image or maybe uh, the interactive part could be uh, so interesting. Yeah, I think, I think, you're, I think you're pointing to a, a very important fundamental, again, constraint we have put ourselves that a photo, uh, uh, an imaging device should create eventually a 2D photo. Yeah. And that's very limiting, extremely limiting. And uh, we will be spending a little bit of time at the, near the end of the semester talking about display technologies. Because yeah. unless there is corresponding innovation and, 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 and research and, and products and services in display, it doesn't make sense to spend a lot of time on, on, on sensors. Uh, so, yeah, the two have to go hand in hand. And there's some exciting directions there. So, the, the last chapter of our book talks all about these other parallel developments that's going to change how we... So, you know, for example, we have 6D display now. Because even in the simple 2D display, there is this project called Chronos Projector. Mm -hmm. Maybe you know that it's also uh, in this where you can point any point, any push, and you move gradually in time. Uh -huh. So it's another way also to explore exist this kind of exactly. very malleable way and, uh, exactly. and by taking, uh, giving the controls to the user, right. you're also empowering, right. not just to one final uh, content representation, but to go through this one exactly. construct mini that's Exactly. Right. So navigating through photos <laughs> is, is, a, is a great way. And, and, you know, but at the same time, I, I love those projects. At the same time, we want to think about something that scales. Yes. And billions of people can use it. Yes. So that's another challenge. So tool shift. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, this is the you know the latest fad on uh, on Flickr. Uh, I think the yeah the HDR has has kind of it's reaching its uh, uh, it's, it's bottoming out now. Uh, but this is uh, tilt shift imaging where uh, this looks like a, kind of a, a tabletop toy scene. Um, but it's actually taken from hundreds of meters away. This is in Rajasthan, the city of Jodhpur, the, the blue city. Uh, and that's when you don't have, you haven't used the tilt shift lens. So the basic trick is you want to, uh, you want to create, instead of making, keeping the lens and the image plane and the plane of focus parallel to each other, if you tilt the lens with respect to the sensor, then it turns out the plane at which things are in focus, the plane of focus uh, also tilts. And this is based on the Schenkflug principle, and we'll study this in detail when we come back to optics and uh, light fits. Uh, but I just wanted to bring this up because uh, um, it's, it's kind of fun, uh, and, and you can play with it. All right. So um, let's, uh, let's talk about uh, some other things. So illumination, right? Um, you can use it in very interesting ways. Um, here's a project by, um, I believe, uh, from Georgia Tech, where they created a anti-paparazzi flash. <laughs> okay? And as you can see, the way it works is 
the paparazzi will take a photo uh, of you know a celebrity coming out. Um, as soon as the flash goes off, uh, is detected by some electronic device, um, and it will blast more light so that uh, what the paparazzi will get in the camera is some you know, blown out photo. Okay. How does it work? Um, you can, uh, so let's say this is, uh, let me make sure I understand. Okay. So it turns out a, a traditional camera, especially a CCD camera, is actually retro-reflective. I'll explain that in a minute. Um, so if you take a, fo a flash photo of, uh, a, a, especially like a cell phone camera, uh, then it appears as a bright spot in the flash photography. So what we're going to do is this guy here is actually is going to be a camera with ring of LED lights, which is this one here. Um, and right next to it uh, is going to be a projector. So this is mounted in the ceiling, a camera with uh, LED lights and a projector. Now these LED lights are on all the time and uh, a paparazzi's camera will appear as a uh, as a, um, a bright spot because it's retro-reflective. Um, and this projector then, uh, which is right below the, the mounted camera, will, uh, will turn on a light, turn on some pixels that are pointed towards this uh, paparazzi. And so basically he'll always see this very bright light, bright spotlight uh, being put on him. At the same time, the rest of the scene is going to be dark because only those pixels of the projector are being turned on. Uh, and that's why your camera, uh, when it takes a picture, will, uh, it will, he will just see this really bright source that's blowing out uh, the rest of the scene. Okay. Yes? What about surveillance cameras? Uh, we don't want to bomb them, right? Uh -huh. So surveillance cameras are uh, so uh, surveillance cameras are. Okay. What's the question? I mean, <laughs> like are there like if if for example we want surveillance cameras to just monitor that region, right. and then we have this device there that bombs every camera that it finds, uh -huh. then probably we are not capturing any information. Yeah, exactly. Okay. All right. So the point is that can you, uh, can you try to defeat yeah. surveillance cameras? Of course you can. We'll learn about a lot of interesting ways you can beat traffic cameras or surveillance cameras and discuss. But that will all happen at the buddy Charles. At 4.30. So um, what is retro reflect? And, and we'll, we'll look at all this. Uh, can you guys all see this over here? So if you have uh, a traditional surface like a wall, uh, light comes in and it gets reflected in all direction. And we call it diffuse or uh, If you have a mirror, then light comes in and gets reflected symmetric around the uh, the right. uh, but most surfaces like this, uh, like this uh, uh, surface here, more here, light comes in and it doesn't uh, doesn't reflect in a in a uniform way and doesn't behave like a mirror. It's somewhere in between. So you get a bright spot, but you also get some other 
and so on. Is that clear? So diffuse, light comes in, gets diffused in all directions, mirror goes in one direction, and a shiny surface is somewhere in between. This two. Now there are some other surfaces where light comes in and it reflects back in the same direction. Uh, and the same surface the light comes in and reflects back again in the same direction. And this is a retro reflector. Okay. And this is a very useful material that you can use in, in many cases. Anybody knows where this is used? Uh, the, the back of your, uh, you know, the, the back of this back. Mass reflector of the mass of the moon. Uh, sorry, for the moon, very good, yeah. On my system. Um, yeah, little beads. Oh, yeah, that's right, on the beads, on the white one. Are yeah. cat's eyes also something similar? So cat's eyes work on the same principle as the camera, and we'll see how it works. So human eyes also work on and we'll see why that works. Okay, so this is principle of retrospection. How it may work, there are multiple ways you can make it happen. You can just have a so-called a corner cube situation. If I put a corner cube, which is a mirror, then it comes out, no matter which direction light comes in, it goes back in the same direction. It comes from here, let's see that goes back in the same direction. Okay. So a corner cube is a very useful retroflector. In fact, if you go to um, you know, many shops, especially tiny shops, which put mirrors on their walls to make it look like, you know, it's, uh, it's much larger through reflections. Uh, and you stand uh, at, at the corner of such, uh, uh, if you go to such shops, you, if you look in the corner, you will see your own mirror image. Okay? Which is strange because, let's say this is a shop, and there's a mirror here, and you're standing here. You know, you'll see your own reflection here. In this mirror, you also see your own reflection here in this mirror, but you also see your own image here in the corner. And as you move around, you know this image will move with you. Uh, this image will move with you, but this image will always be in the corner. It's retro reflection. I look at the corner, I always see myself. Okay. So I'm surprised we don't have mirrors like this in our house. So that I don't actually go in front of the mirror. I could be anywhere in the room and I'll still see myself. No matter where I am. So you could build a mirror. It's just that you need to do more depth. Yes? Do you use it also for measuring distance with laser? Yes. You know, to the street? Exactly. Very, very, because the angles are very critical yes. for, for, uh, for, uh, for measuring diseases. Yeah. So that's one way of doing it. Yes? Is red eye reduction also required because of retroflector? Very good point, very good point. So red eye reduction is like cat's eyes. You see, uh, and the color red is because of, you know, the chemicals in our viscous humor that refers most to red eye. You can have liquid also, gel, uh -huh. that could be bubbles that can Exactly, so bubbles are, are another way of doing it. So you, so one is corner cube, uh, the other way is, oh, by the way, another interesting property of this one is, you know how people will say in the mirror you get confused if you move your left hand, your right hand moves, and you move the right hand, right hand moves. The corner cube, that doesn't happen. If I move this hand, the other hand moves. If I move this hand, this hand moves. So it's, you know, 
your 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 image is 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 not trivial in that regard. It's so just um, is there a shower on here? Have you ever said this? Mm -hmm. You use the log condition of this. Alright, so other one is bubbles. If I just make a, a shiny, uh, just a glass of green edge, uh, light comes in, it reflects, it pickles uh, up uh, the refraction. Uh, and then it reflects again because of total internal reflection. So the refractive index here is plus pretty much there. And then it goes back out and then it gets back. Okay. So that's how a glass bead based uh, retroreflector would work. And then of course you have a bunch of these. So you know you get like back from all of this. Well, that's exactly how a rainbow works. You see rainbow the uh, after it had just rained. Uh, this is how rainbow works. If you have to see, uh, if you have to see uh, a rainbow uh, with maximum, uh, maximum, uh, kind of, you know, the most vivid, most vivid colors, uh, what condition do you have to satisfy? With respect to the sun and with respect to the the, the highly uh, high humidity air. What's the, what's the geometric condition you have to satisfy? You have to use So, this is the sky. The sun is just setting. You are here. Uh, and you're going to see it exactly in the opposite direction here. So the rainbow is going to appear here. So, you know, very common. You go to, uh, you know, some place with a waterfall and you want to see the rainbow. You know, it's very challenging. You can see it sometimes, you don't see it sometimes. All you have to make sure is that the sun, so usually if you're high enough, uh, you can see the rainbow. Because as you can imagine, if this, uh, the, the sun is pretty high in, uh, in the sky, you'll never see a rainbow. Because it's occluded by the surface of the earth. But when the sun is low enough, you'll see the rainbow. On the other hand, if you're on a mountain, right, then even in the daytime, you could see the rainbow. If the, if the air is here, because all these water particles are allowing you to see the retroflex. And we'll come into why you see the rainbow, because the refractive index for different colors is different. So that's why we see different bands uh, of these uh, colors. So, a lot of fascinating properties of retroreflection. So, uh, in case of uh, why does a human eye have a red eye or a cat has a uh, is uh, bright spots. It's the same reason. So all you want is a property where light goes in, comes back in the same direction. So if you have now a uh, are you getting this? Oh. I don't know. Light yeah. here. So uh, now if you have a, let's say a camera for now, and human eye works almost similar way. Uh, and there's a bright spot, bright light, and I'm going to stand right next to it. Light goes in, and this gets focused at some point. On the lens. As you can imagine, if your sensor is actually has a shiny film in front of it, if you look at a sensor, you'll realize it's pretty shiny. Right? It has partial mirror-like properties. Light goes in, and it reflects 
and no matter where the light comes out from, because of the duality of the light, we go back to the same spot. Okay? Now, of course, if it is out of focus, you will not see it. Because it goes somewhere else. But if the point was in sharp focus on the sensor, it will reflect back and come back in the same, same way. And so this is the same reason why for human eye, again, you have the same situation. You know, that goes in, it reflects and comes back in the same direction. So the reason why they tell you, what's possible strategy for removing a red eye? I mean, what, what should you do? Flash up. Flash up. Or if you have a cheap camera, what do you do? Don't want to look at the camera, right? Because you're not looking at the camera, you're, the image that's being formed is forming somewhere else, image of the light, because you're looking somewhere else. And so it's not reflect back to the so the anti-paparazzi system also blind everybody is supposed to see. If it was, if it was, uh, if, if, uh, if, uh, <laughs> if, the, if, the, if 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 we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. I think the point JD was bringing up that is that human eyes are also retroflectors. So if you look at that spot, it will detect you and flash you. Oh, okay. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. So, it's true. It's true. So, this system is not where robots. So, just don't go there with your white gloves. So, you know, also you know that red eye issues are very ethnically dependent. Usually, Caucasians have more problems with Asians. Patients don't have as much problem with uh, red eyes. Uh, and that's just because, you know, the pigment and, and so on. Uh, but you're right that if the system works really well, it will also blind probably someone else. So <laughs> if you have a, a, a mask, something to protect your lens, then the, this seeing what is there will not be able to see through the... Oh yeah, that's the, that's the next project we should be working on. No. How to beat the energy purpose. Yeah, I mean you can. There are a lot of ways to get around it, all this. Um, if you want, we'll have a very nice discussion on uh, how to change your license plate so that the the uh, the, the, the the high speed whatever the speeding cameras will not will never be able to see it. You have to buy me a beer. <laughs> okay. All right? Yeah. You're up for it? Yeah. You're over 18, right? <laughs> yeah, 21. Uh, I, I didn't ask you. <laughs> All right. Good. So, um, uh, before we take a short break and uh, go into the illumination more discussion, I just want to give you the kind of final projects you could be working on. Remember, we are really here to do something that's cool as well as novel. Okay? So, many times I'm going to bring up a list of the kind of projects that are not cool. Right? And again, no offense to somebody who might be working in a similar field, but you know, just let's be honest. Let's do something, something nice. So here are some suggestions for types of final projects you could be doing. Uh, you have, you know, beautiful user interaction devices. They're always fun. Uh, instead of using a 2D sensor camera, maybe use a line scan camera, like the photo finish camera. Um, or which can be, by the way, created from a, a flatbed scanner. You can buy a flatbed scanner for an, under $100. Uh, 
and it's actually a multi thousand frame rate camera. Okay, you can just hold it in one place and if you walk in front of it, you'll basically create a photo finish camera. Do you have? There are a lot of issues, but we'll help you on that. We'll help you on that. Um, yeah, this, you know, like, like Dino was saying, it's not something you can just buy and just plug it in. You have to get, you have to get your hands dirty in all of this. Um, or, you know, just use photo detectors, single pixel cameras. You can do a lot of interesting things uh, with it. Uh, you can include some interesting illumination. Uh, capture the invisible is always my fascination on how can we capture something that cannot be seen with a, with a naked eye. So maybe build some tomography machine that can see inside the body, um, some structure like 3D scanning or fluorescence, and we'll, we'll see that experiment here just in a minute. And uh, this is a question you were asking earlier. Are there cameras in other domain, electromagnetic or audio or resistive? So how about an audio camera or a magnetic camera or a capacitive camera? It's great. We won't be discussing it a lot in the class, but I think it's a great way to do a, a, a final project. Um, you know, thermal IR camera, and we can, we can help you. Maybe a thermal IR camera that detects emotions. Uh, multispectral camera. Uh, camera that can distinguish between two very similar colored objects. Uh, you know, people are always interested in distinguishing camel from sand. So, can you create some mechanism so that two very similar looking objects can be completely distinguished? Uh, there's a lot of market in the golf business where people want to spot their spot their uh, spot their golf ball uh, on a green background. So you just put this. Do you know what they do? Yeah, they sell it for hundreds of dollars. All you need is a blue filter. If you put a blue filter, all the grass, which is green, looks black. But your ball, which is not green, stands out. Right? So you have a black background and Anything that's not green will really stand out. Uh, you can, you can. There are lots of other businesses so like this, something like that. Uh, illumination, uh, Schlieren photography. I think we, we saw earlier. A uh, lot of fun. All kinds of strobing. Um, um, Non-imaging elements such as gyros, um, GPS, uh, interaction between two cameras. Maybe there's some lighting communication or Wi-Fi communication between them. Uh, optics is always a lot of fun, camera arrays, light fields, coded aperture. Uh, maybe try to mimic one of a vision of one of the animals. Uh, or study, you know, bring some worms or bring some cats. And cats are, by the way, really beautiful mechanisms of how they, how they uh, work. And we'll have a whole lecture on animal eyes, I think seventh or eighth lecture. Uh, so we'll, we'll study that. Uh, and time, time lapse photos are so much. Uh, there's so much information in, in time-lapse photos. I mean, I wish I could go on Google Earth uh, or Google Street View and it would show me time-lapse. It can't be that difficult. You know, they have to scale their database only by a factor of 24, which is not that much more, I think. But it would be nice to see the same place in the daytime and nighttime and, you know, what kind of traffic it has and what kind of people it has. And right now, it's very static about its, uh, its appearance. Somebody had a very nice idea for for time-lapse photos for Google Street Map, which is um, uh, sometimes you don't need a video of what's going on there, but the world, uh, at least man-made world, usually only have a few discrete steps. You know, if the traffic light, if there's a traffic light, it you know just switches between three different colors. Uh, if there's a bridge on river, that you know uh, uh, drawbridge, it's either in this position or this position. 
You know, there are a lot of these discrete things that happen in man-made world. So it would be nice if in Google Street you can see all those discrete steps, discrete uh, situations in various discrete uh, uh, You know, you can create this direct global separation. I think we, we saw that earlier. Create new types of cameras that are very thin. These are all suggestions for, for final projects. Uh, mimic uh, animal eye, play with photonic crystals that are very easy to make now. Uh, photonic crystals are basically, you know, in simple words, these are uh, uh, arrays of uh, arrays of uh, ordered arrays of materials that have different different refractive index. In the simplest case, it could be just glass and air. Okay, so if you just create, you know, micron scale holes in glass, it behaves in very interesting ways. So maybe somebody will somebody will play with that. We don't have photography. And so Ramesh, yeah. You say it's very simple. How do you do that? Uh, I mean, by simple, I mean, yeah. It's it's the idea is fairly simple. Actually, when photonic crystals were invented in Bell Labs, they literally took CNC machines uh, in metal and they just punched holes. Um, we have a microelectronics uh, laboratory. I think uh, Quinn knows about it. Um, and uh, you know we can. I think they have, they have some charge, but I can easily take care of the the, the funding for that. Um, and uh, I think you pay like a fixed one-hour rental for it. Um, but if it's a research project, maybe we can even get around that. So, in fact, you can buy now um, uh, nanomaterials and, and photonic crystals just online. You can get like two micron beads and six micron beads. Sorry. Two nanometer beads and six nanometer beads online. Uh, very toxic, a little bit dangerous, uh, but um, there are certain varieties that you can just use. Uh, so it's a lot of fun to play with that. Uh, and here are some sample projects from last year's class. You know, Schlieren Photography, again, this was the only undergrad in the class, and he won the best award, best project award uh, from Nokia. Um, uh, Jesse from Mechanical Engineering did a camera array for particle image velocimetry, and now it has become his PhD thesis, uh, and he's applying for you know uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in, in grant. Uh, Bidirectional screen was a project by Matt Matt Hirsch. Again, it has become his master's thesis, SIGGRAPH paper, uh, and so on. Amit uh, Kirmani in my group, uh, he just looked at the theory. He didn't have time to build anything at that time. Or looking around a corner, which is again a paper this year. Uh, somebody's building a tomography machine, and so on. Lots of lots of cool things. As you can imagine, last year the emphasis was it was a little bit more hardware intensive because the the people who are taking the classes were interested in that. Um, but this year we have a, a more diverse crowd here. So I'm expecting projects in just art of photography. You know, beautiful um, uh, uh, synthesis of images. Uh, HCI, you know, real-time HCI systems, uh, maybe some different types of scientific imaging, maybe a new microscope, uh, anything like anything, anything of that that variety. And we'll spend a lot of time together. We have four or five mentors assigned who are working with you on the on the final projects. All right. So let's take a short break, and in the short break, we're going to show you some cool uh, fluorescent uh, demos here. And then we'll start back in about 10 minutes to talk about uh, other types of illumination. 
So um, here's a big question for, for photography. You know, 1930s, we had big cameras, the guy had to get under the cloth to take a picture. It's you actually know. a press camera. It's pretty small and people. Uh, no, this, is, this, is, this is more recent, but I, I'm guessing you have cameras that are bigger than this, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's nothing wrong in having large cameras. Uh, and that has, you know, shrunk down to something, you know, this and, and this and 20 cents with all the electronics and processing and so on. But when you think about lighting, not much has changed. You know, it has definitely not reduced in size. It definitely has not reduced in cost or, or convenience uh, and so on. And uh, in a way, what really distinguishes a consumer photographer consumer photography from professional photography is not the camera anymore, but the lighting. So this is kind of a challenge for you know our community, who we like to think about making everything programmable and easy to use. You know, the same revolution will that happen for illumination? Okay. So we're going to explore that a little bit uh, in today's class, and come back and talk some more uh, in the next class. So when we thought about cameras, we tried to make it very smart, you know, with the lenses and different sensors and new processing, but the light source is still a flash. Maybe it has fancy umbrellas and so on, but it's mostly a flash. Um, so what we want to do is replace that into a more programmable illumination in a very high dimensional way. It's geometry, we'll call it 4D illumination field, in time and, and color. Right? So uh, some of the earliest examples, uh, and this whole field is called computational illumination. Uh, we're going to use computing even in the lighting. Um, and, you know, maybe the pioneer was uh, Edgerton, Doc Edgerton right here. Uh, very famous examples of you know, bullets going through, uh, uh, going through an apple. And uh, Santiago was saying, you have, you have this one or? The, the three balloons. Three balloons, yeah. So in Edgerton has this beautiful, beautiful uh, pictures. Are they, are they in your yeah. uh, dorm The same one. The same one? Yeah, great. So you know, beautiful pictures. But they were not captured with smart cameras. They were captured with smart lighting. Okay. Um, you have an ordinary camera where the shutter is open for you know certain duration, but then you have a flash that freezes that motion, which I generally call a stroboscope. Uh, and in this particular case, you have a sequential strobe that captures this whole circuit. Right? Nothing smart about the camera. Really smart. Um, strobed lighting. Um, and of course, Dr. Jordan came up with chemical processors to create very sh um, short duration uh, light sources. But you know, now we have LEDs and solid state uh, devices. We can control light down to you know, a few picoseconds or nanoseconds. You know. All this can be done you know, very easily in, in, in your house. So, again, this is what distinguishes consumers from professionals. Um, and uh, we, we'll look at this step by step. And uh, this will be more, more technical discussion about what parameters of light we can change. Okay. So let's think about what are the things we can change about light. One is clearly the brightness. What are some other things we can change? Color. 
the the cone polarization coherence length coherence length a little bit more uh, exotic yes the direction the direction yes uh-huh. maybe it's not even a single cone but just like a projector different directions have a different intensity time so strobing or duration uh, or uh, synchronization with the uh, the the captured image relative phase relative phase of course so lenses and your and your lights lenses exactly don't think of your flash as just a light source but put fancy optics or masks uh, in front of them to control again direction and so on you can yeah you can you can change the environment not just illuminate the environment but change the environment by putting some interest, interesting lighting inside there so you know this is this is by the way uh, another great way to do another great way to come up with new ideas you know you say this this picture really bothers me right what can i do and if you want to do research in this area you ask this question to yourself what are all the ways i can control the lighting parameters and i'm going to go through one by one and see how i can attack them okay and we'll see examples of exactly how that has happened over the last several years so the simplest one is i can have light or no light <laughs> the simplest parameter <laughs> uh next parameter is duration how long it's on or its brightness uh, and so on. you know its position its color uh you know using it as a projector special modulation in angle modulation in space modulation in time and sometimes just natural light just time lapse which we saw right so we'll just look at a few projects to get us motivated um and we saw this one last time a multi flash camera where uh you know we really trying to solve a new problem if i want to tell you what's inside my car um i can just take a photo and send it to you um but when car companies want to do the same thing they hire artists so the question is why do we hire artists to draw something that can be photographed yes you may know what's more important or less important the semantics is very important yes Yes. What's a thing and not a reflection? So like edges. Yeah. So yeah, reflections are annoying, and they don't really add any information. And edges are more important, right? In that picture, also the the essential elements are highlighted. Exactly. The hand is brighter than the rest of the car. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. yeah some unnecessary uh, wires or <laughs> yeah, yeah. All these things is just clutter. right and it's not critical to explaining what's in the car uh, it just looks more beautiful so yeah unnecessary shadows clutters too many colors as opposed to you know highlighting the shape edges marking what's moving and using very simple basic colors yes is this what we call diminished reality or some other names for it non photorealistic so imagine if you can just build a camera that gives you an image on the right as opposed to the left we are not trying to put the artists out of business uh but we are trying to create tools so that they don't end up time rotoscoping and drawing the lines they get all the line maps very quickly and then beyond that the creative process starts okay so get rid of this tedious task of finding the edges and marking and so on like all the uh, magic uh, 
citizens so on. Um, so, you know, of course, the first solution would be just take the photo and try to find intensity edges. Turns out it doesn't work very well, right? Um, and this is a problem you face in HCI all the time, right? You have some gestures with your hand, um, which might have some challenging background, a lighting, then, you know, a typical method is to maybe do some kind of edge detection, color detection, and you just hope that, you know, there are not, the lighting is just right when you're showing the demo and the, you have managed to control the background just enough so that, you know, everything works out. Or you can be smart about it and use, distinguish between reflectance edges, which are edges between different materials, and, uh, and uh, distinguish them from depth edges, which are real geometric edges. Okay? So these are all intensity edges, and these are all just geometry edges. So imagine if I could take a photo of this and get this out. Clearly, it will be much easier for me to write um, um, an interactive system that's based on that. But this is written like a computer vision question, actually, like the example with the car. Mm -hmm. like maybe like a question of meaning because a human being knows what to abstract and yes. what not, and um, they don't really emphasize. It's, it's multiple, multiple goals. So one goal is uh, diminished reality, <laughs> trademarked by... Uh, uh, Sorry? Okay, all right. So, I mean, uh, Ankit, who's a scientist in our group, uh, has, has a very um, uh, interesting way of, of putting this. He says, a photography is, uh, you know, it's well known as a photography is the art of, of, uh, of uh, I mean, art of exclusion. You know, de-emphasizing things that the photographer makes a decision on what to de-emphasize, either by using focus or by cropping it, and so on, so that you know, the photographer can convey to the viewer what's most important. Um, but what we're doing computationally now is adding another level of exclusion. In this case, we're excluding the intensity edges and just keeping depth edges and, and all these other things. So computationally, we should be able to extend the concept of, uh, of exclusion. So one could be for non-photoristic rendering, for creating cartoons, one could be for HCI, and there are lots of other things. I mean, right now this is being used in Mitsubishi products for you know, some really bizarre things. So. Um, so we saw the idea last time. You get this slivers of shadows, and by analyzing the shadows, you can com continue com compute the depth discontinuities. And some people like to call it uh, silhouettes. Some people like to call it occluding contours or shape boundaries, but you know, they're not so precise, and depth discontinuities is what we're really talking about. So when I take a photo, then the depth of this pixel and depth of the pixel uh, on the other side of this uh, screen has uh, a C0 discontinuity, and that's really what we're talking about. Uh, as opposed to um, silhouette, where, you know, it's usually about just the external part, but if I put my hand over here, this is, this is still a depth discontinuity from my hand to my body. So I would like to capture that. Um, and shape boundaries is also not very precise. Uh, so depth discontinuity is really what we're talking about. And imagine if this is in uh, uh, the Sony iToy or the Microsoft Natal, then if you have a depth camera, if I put my hand really close to my body, it cannot distinguish the depth with respect to the camera of my body versus my hand. 
but with this camera we can still continue to detect that there is a there is a shadow that's created from that. How about the laser? Sorry? The laser projector camera? Yeah, so actually the Microsoft Natal uses this prime sense uh, sensor, which is not time of flight, but based on triangulation. Uh, but anything that senses depth, as opposed to depth discontinuity, will have the same problem. Because as you get closer and closer, you'll not be able to detect like it. We were testing with a piece of paper, and it seemed to be pretty good. It was very good, yeah, it was very good, yeah. So, if it's a really good depth sensing camera, then you're all set. But it has more resolution, and it's much more, it's a more complex device. Okay? So, again, uh, shadows to the right, shadows to the left, and so on. But when you look at the shadows, they are not just one pixel wide, right? They could be, depending on the depth difference, they could be very wide or, or very narrow. So, you want to create an output that's exactly one pixel wide. So, how does this work? So, before we go there, I guess these are intensity edges, these are depth edges, and you can just put that together to create a cartoon in real time. Uh, in fact, we, we demonstrated this, uh, so here, this is another example, my old 93 from the Civic, and uh, this is what you'll get if you use the intensity edge detector, this is what you get from the four flashes, you can even see the Honda sign here, that's barely visible here. Uh, that's because the Honda sign is, uh, has, a, has a relief, it's a height field, it's a geometry rather than texture. And all this uh, uh, scratch marks um, and, and rusting is just texture. It does not contribute to the geometry. And if you try to locate the spark plugs or the dipstick, uh, it's barely visible here. Uh, but again, here you can see it very clearly. Right? So the shapes are, are what they're really they're looking for. And these are the four images, input images, just raw images. You can see to the uh, naked eye, they look identical uh, to a naive observer. But if you look at the shadows, uh, here the shadows are to the right of these pipes. Here the shadows are to the left of these pipes. Here the shadows are at the top. And here the shadows are at the bottom. And by again, uh, analyzing the shadows, you can find uh, the depth edges. Yeah? In practice, how, like, obviously the farther Exactly. So the so we'll talk a little bit about what parameters you have to choose to get an optimal performance. And the, yeah, there's different sweet spot where it works uh, in, in the system. Um, so more examples here, and you know I'm just going to describe you very quickly the you know the, the geometric parameters that make it happen. But uh, we were showing this uh, live at SIGGRA. So you can stand in front of this camera where, where every alternate, every fourth frame had a different flashlight going off. We, we put an LED and you can stand in front of it and you know, it's cartoon and uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the AHA video from the 1980s, Take On yeah. Me. You remember that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I thought uh, I was too old to appreciate that. but. Um, so in the AHA video, there's this very beautiful effect where, you know, uh, on one side of the glass pane, the world is cartoon, and the other side, it's, it's real. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when we were showing this, uh, it goes on for four days, uh, after the end of the first day, people started saying, oh, this reminds us of the, the AHA video, the Take On Me video. And I said, yeah, that's, that's, that's really true. So we got, you know, really sick of those comments, and on our on our demo, instead of calling it, we had some really boring technical name, 
uh, we said this is the AHA demo, take on me demo. And we had big letters on a you know, huge screen. Um, and then on the second day, uh, the, the curator of the, of the show came to me and she introduced me to this guy. And she said, uh, this is, uh, uh, I forget his name, David Patterson. Um, this is David Patterson, do you know him? I said, I don't know him. He said, he was the music video director of AHA. <laughs> and so I said, wow, that's great. You know, we're really inspired by your video. He looks up on the screen and, uh, you know, our demo was inside a, a closed booth and we're showing the live output of that uh, on, on the big screen. And he said, what, what are you showing there? I said, this is live. You can go inside. And, you know, this is, uh, this is uh, being computed in real time. And he said, that's impossible because when we were doing it in mid-80s, every frame took them a whole day. <laughs> to, to, you know, to rotoscope and edge and so on. And uh, so we are very excited, you know, uh, Patterson is here. So he comes inside, you know, he acts uh, very cool, he looks at it, he looks at the images, and we take, you know, we get very excited, we take pictures with him, he leaves. But after half an hour, he brings his son with him. And he starts explaining to him, his son is about two, three years old, he says, wow, you know, remember in 1980s I worked on this video, these guys are doing it in real time now. And uh, we said, well, I'm pretty happy, you know, you brought your son, you must be excited. After a couple of hours, he brings his wife. <laughs> and it just goes on all day long, he just keeps bringing people to show them uh, how this works. So that was the high point of that secret. Um, so how does it work, right? So you have, um, you have a camera and you have your flashlight, which is shown as P here. And then because of the parallax between the lights, between the lens and the light source, you're going to cast a shadow uh, of this object. If the flash is to the left, the shadow is going to be cast on the right. And if you just trace the ray from the light source to the object to the shadow, uh, it's going to be projected in the image as this particular vector. Okay. Now, what's interesting is that I need at least, it turns out we need at least three light sources. You don't have to use four, but you need at least three light sources. And let's say you have three light sources, P1, P2, P3, and the image of the light source is denoted by E. So the shadow, it turns out, lies along so-called apipolar ray. Those of you are familiar with apipolar geometry. Um, and as long as we make sure that on, uh, for any given silhouette, any given depth edge, there's at least one light that's on one side of that edge, and there's at least one light that's on the other side of that edge. We can guarantee that at least in one image, you will see a shadow, and at least in one image, image you will not see a shadow. Okay? And by being able to compare, you know, so out of four in our case, at least one of them will have shadow, and at least one of them will not have shadow. So by, by guaranteeing that, uh, we can analyze the four images and compute how that works. So uh, here's a very simple example. Uh, flash to the left, so the shadow is on the right. Here the flash is on the right, so the shadow is on the left. And all you do is uh, take these two images, find the max operator. Take the max at every pixel. Okay? And this is what you can do with HDR Shop. I don't know if you can do it with Photoshop. Can you just take two images in Photoshop? and find the max of the two. At every pixel, I want to compare the two pixels, and I want to take the maximum of the two. Okay. 
You can do that? Well, there, there, are, I, I there are filters that you can do that with one layer and the layer behind it and see interpolation between them. I don't know if it's exactly that. Okay, but yeah, there's a list of like 20 filters. Exactly. But you know, they, nobody cares about doing nice, simple mathematical operations. So, uh, so shop is great for, for these things. All these things you can do it in shop in, you know, 15 seconds, literally. Another tool that I think we use is that we're doing a lot of image processing image J is really nice. Image J? Image J. Okay. It's Java based and all of the source, so if you want to take a look at the code, it's mm -hmm. all there. Excellent. Um, and it also, you can script all of these functions with the live images using JavaScript. Excellent. Um, which is really useful. Just send a link to the class or to Sam so it will go in the notes. Uh, image and there's also OpenCV and all these things, yeah. so I'm sure you'll use them. In MATLAB, again, it's one line command, max a comma b, right? Uh, a, a vector, b vector, but basically one line code to take a max of two images. In Photoshop, maybe 30 minutes. Um, so all you do is take the max of the two and take the ratio of this image by the max image, which I call normalized. You know, we want to divide that. And if you divide, all the texture goes away and only the shadows are left. Wherever there was no shadow, you'll get a value of 1. The ratio is 1. Wherever there's a shadow, you'll get a value that's close to 0. Not always 0 because there's some uh, other lighting. And now, uh, all you have to do is, if you take one scan line here, this is how you plot it, and you can see the shadows very clearly. And same here. In the left image, you scan from left to right, and wherever you see a jump from lit area to an unlit area has to be a depth touch. In the right image, you scan from right to left, and wherever, again, you see from lit area to an unlit area, that's the depth edge. So in every one of those four images, you'll be able to find depth edges from different orientations. And then we can take a union of all these four images, and that gives you a full depth edge. Right? So in this case, for example, all these internal edges are completely ignored, and all you see is uh, silhouettes. And in MATLAB, that's all there is. 15 lines of code and no parameters, no tuning required. Okay, there's no constant that's used anywhere. So it's extremely easy to use. You can implement this. You can use it. I'll give it as an option for one of the class assignments. So you have a, uh, you have a choice to, to use this uh, in, in real time. Okay. Any questions on this one? Yes. So um, you said outline, the boundary is only one pixel wide. Mm -hmm. But if you actually provide more than one pixel, depending on how thick the shadow is, mm -hmm. you get more of that information? That's a very good point. So depending on, depending on how far things are, so here, for example, the shadow is wider than here, right? And that's because the depth difference is larger or smaller. So you're very right that the thickness of the shadow actually tells you a little <coughs> bit about the depth difference. Not the depth itself, but the depth difference. So you could get a little bit of 3D information as well. Yeah, that's that would be a nice project. Do you know the actual machine system that uses 3D capture? Mm-hmm. So is it, are there systems that use this like web machine in the shop? Right. That takes 3D picture, but yes. you know that, or it's a hard thing. They just use a laser scanner usually. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. So it could be a, a cheap way to do that. You can just capture all the silhouettes. But remember, we are not capturing depth. We're only capturing depth edges. Yes. It's like saying I'm not capturing intensities, I'm just capturing intensity edges. But if you say you compare, so this this work has really taken off. There have been lots of papers that are based on this particular technique, and so people have tried to do stereo 
uh, some people have tried to do some, I mean, it's still open. It's, it's very new, right? It's only three, four years old. And um, people have tried to do different colored lights. Uh, so there's a lot you can do. So questions back there? Could you actually capture that, but at least the sort of difference between different edges just by looking at the size of the shadow? If you can process the shadow width. But, but remember, it's not going to be as robust. Because, you know, the, uh, if you look at this plot, you have to estimate how wide this region is. That's shadow. So if you can do that fast enough, uh, then yes, you could do that. So it's not, in certain conditions, maybe it's possible. Like for skin, it's very easy because uh, the shadow color is not going to interfere. If something was black in the scene, then that could be detected as a shadow. But in this method, even if the object is black, it doesn't matter. You'll still get very nice edges. But if you try to estimate the shadow width, then you have a little bit of issues. Again, all of this technique assumes that you have one plan, one image, which you could have like multi focal or Hey, now you're thinking like a researcher. Now we we thought about all the ways you can change the lighting parameters. Now you're saying, in addition to that, can you change camera parameters and do something more? That's the that's the kind of thinking I want you to have in this class. You know, always take an idea X and think about how you can do the next from X. By the way, I posted some slides on how to come up with new ideas on the Stellar web page. You know, if you if you're inspired by an idea X. How do you come up with the next idea? And you know, there is a very systematic process, systematic process of how you can come up with great ideas. Uh, and also, the same slides tell you uh, if you come up with a great idea, whether to decide whether to pursue it or not. So I'm, I'm curious about uh, your comments. It's it's, um, it's just work in progress. I've been putting it together um, uh, over the last uh, several months. Okay. So again, that you know, that allows you to do this in, in real time. Um, what are some other things people are doing? Um, you take a flash photo. Uh, the person is very brightly lit. The background is not so well lit. Uh, you take a no flash photo. Okay, what has changed in the two? She didn't blink. Remember, despite the red flash. But anyway, that's a different point. What information can you recover from this? Yeah, you can separate foreground from background. You can separate foreground from background because the foreground is well lit, but the background doesn't change. So if I just take the ratio of the two images, it will look something like this. Okay, if I do one minus the ratio. So the, the background hasn't changed uh, and the foreground has changed dramatically. So this particular paper called flash matting, as simple as that, that was the idea for Syngraph paper in, in 2006. They went a little bit beyond that and they said if you just take pure ratios, then you cannot get the, you know, the strands of the hair and, and, and so on. So they used some, uh, um, some gradient domain techniques, some graph cut techniques to um, solve this matting equation of what's foreground and what's background and they can also detect this very um, subpixel features. And then, of course, you can take that and you know replace the background. So it works mostly well. It does pretty well here. There's some small artifacts, but it looks good. So just by changing the light, also, just presence and absence of light, you can create some really interesting photo or or for interactions. Is the same technique with like a uh, flashing IR to do live video? That's
that's a great idea. So you know, you could do alternate frames, and you won't. I mean, it won't be disturbing for for the for the user, and you can just distinguish foreground from background. So very simple examples. We'll progressively look at more and more complex uh, ideas here. But let's let's stop here for today, and we'll talk about all these other cool things uh, next time.